0: You're listening to Adopted Feels with Hannah and Ryan, a podcast on anything and everything adoption-related. Not an adoptee and not quite a gyopo, Bastian Flickwirt, also known as Shin Sobin, best describes himself as a second-generation adoptee. Born in 1999 to two Dutch-Korean adoptees, he spent his childhood living in both the Netherlands and Korea, and he's fluent in both Dutch and Korean. He credits his intercultural upbringing with opening up many opportunities, such as a brief period working at the Korean embassy in the Netherlands, but also with struggles and questions of identity and belonging. Bastian is completing an undergraduate degree with a double major in history and Korean studies. He's currently living in Seoul, conducting research on the first mothers of transnational adoptees from Korea, with a focus on agency versus structure before and after 1966.
1: In some ways, Bastian's experiences reminded us of our own. He occupies a liminal space and has already transitioned through periods of living in Korea and the Netherlands and back again. Bastian is thoughtful and reflective beyond his years. He shares eloquently about growing up with two adopted parents and between two countries, his experiences of racism, returning to Korea as an independent adult, and his hopes to foster the community of second generation adoptees. This was a fascinating interview that sheds light on the intergenerational impacts of being adopted and the insights that sometimes only later generations have. This interview also made us feel very old. Finally, stay tuned until the very end when Bastian indulges us in a classic Adopted Feels random question segment.
2: My name is uh, Bastian Flickweird or Sobin. I'm from the Netherlands. Both of my parents are adoptees. Uh, I personally am not, but because of that background, I've always been into the adoption scene, I'd say. I'm currently enrolled in university. and working on my bachelor thesis, so I'm about to graduate as well.
0: Um, how long have you been in Seoul for? Um, I came to Seoul
2: in August 2020, um, so right, I think, when Korea was about to get rid of COVID, and that kind of didn't work out, but- <laughs>
1: so this is not your first time in korea it's actually um you've actually lived here twice
2: yes yes i came here for the first time in 2006 when i was i think seven years old we lived here for a year at that moment and then uh, we went back to the netherlands and came back again as a family in 2009 and then we lived here for two and a half years so right until i think i I didn't graduate um, elementary school in Korea. And then we went back to the Netherlands.
1: What was that like? Um, yeah, both times. Can you tell us a little bit about the experience?
2: So the first time, um, I remember that, that I didn't know anything. Um, I came to Korea before during holidays. So um, actually living here was, was quite a different experience. And um, I didn't know any Korean. Couldn't read Hangul so so adjusting was was quite difficult but since i was so young i think it also went by very quickly um i catch up real quickly um i could speak i learned to speak korean within that year as well so coming back the second time was um a lot more familiar at that point and i i got used to to living in korea and, and feeling korean in that sense a lot more quicker and going back the second time was um a lot more difficult, I'd say. Because at that point, um, I'd been living here in Korea for two and a half years. I'd made friends and I, I was expecting kind of to go to middle school in Korea. And then we went back to the Netherlands again. So so that was quite, quite impactful, uh, I'd say.
1: I think that age as well, um, I, I think it's like more difficult to move and change schools and everything and leave friends at that age rather than like younger.
2: Yeah, I think it definitely like, most of the memories I have of Korea when I was younger are from that, that, that second period rather from the first period, very vaguely. Um, so, so yeah, I think definitely it was a lot easier to adjust being so young as well. And also because it was just a year. So going back to the Netherlands also didn't feel that bad, I, I, I think, because I was able to go back to the same class, same school, which I left for only a year. Uh, but going back there again after two and a half years was a lot more impactful.
1: Yeah. What were some of your um, favorite things about living in Korea back then? I mean, like, did you, like, even though you were young, did you appreciate like like being surrounded by Korean people and like I don't eating Korean food all the time? Or um,
2: wow, um, I, I I think that um, at first there was, there was a general feeling of excitement definitely the first time and then after a while that that faded real quickly I think um and then it was just a a state of survival I'd say the first year Mm -hmm. um but the second time was was feeling uh, I think that was a lot different because it felt like going back to a place I already knew and again that general feeling of excitement and and that quickly like become a normal Korean life in that sense uh making friends um eating Korean food and then just living my life I think one of the memories I have is that I missed Dutch treats a lot. <laughs> um while while when I lived in the Netherlands I missed Korean treats a lot. So so for me, because maybe because I was young, it generally felt like everything became normal really quickly. Eating Korean food every day, um speaking Korean outside every day. I think think that was very normal really quickly. Um and being surrounded by Koreans, I think That became more of a thing when i came back to the netherlands and i started looking back Mm. i think as i grew up i started to realize what exactly i experienced and what that actually meant uh, for me as a kid i i didn't really realize that i think at that point Mm.
0: can we go back a little bit um can you tell us a bit about your family and also i suppose As part of that story, uh, how you came to live in Korea those two times?
2: So, yeah, my um, parents are both adopted from Korea. Uh, Mom was born in 1970, dad was from 1971. I think they were both adopted around 1973, somewhere like that. I have a younger sister and a younger brother as well. So we five, we all moved together to Korea. Mm And that was kind of the plan was that we were going to live with my dad's mother. So my grandmother, because she had arranged everything, basically, we were supposed to live with her in her apartment. Um, She even got like a bicycle driver's license, uh, because she knew that people in the Netherlands like driving uh, bicycles, (laughs) or riding bicycles. Um, So yeah, like she organized everything. And then three months before we moved to Korea, she passed away. And then we were basically uh, living on our own instead. And I remember that was the first time I saw my dad crying as well. Um, mm. And that was kind of a big thing for me, seeing my, my, my dad cry. And because he found his mother very quickly. He was very young when when he was able to, to come into contact again with his uh, birth family. So, so that had always played a big part of our family as well. We always went, On holiday to korea we basically stayed with uh the family um and they they kind of took care of us and on my mother's side um she looked for her family the first time we came to korea without success Um, but then back in the netherlands um, we heard from uh, go i think that somebody contacted them uh, after recognizing one of her baby pictures on television and at that point um dna test and came back positive and she visited her family and and my parents at that point basically decided okay if we want to create a bond with a family become part of the family there we have to move back to korea again so so that's why we moved back to korea the second time as well
0: I'm assuming most of, I don't actually know the answer to this. I'm assuming most of our listeners are adoptees. (laughs) Um, And so a lot of us, um, you know, I think would have a lot of curiosity about what it was like for you to grow up with Korean adoptee parents. And if there were discussions around adoption or Korean adoption practices that you were kind of privy to or part of when you were young.
2: Um, I think as a kid, I knew it. I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, like, oh yeah. I mean, where do you come from? I come from Korea. Oh why, yeah, because my parents are adopted. Yeah, I didn't know what it meant. It was just like the programmed answer I'd I'd have ready for people. But but like going to Korea and coming back the first time after the first time, I think that's that's the moment where I became conscious about difference between Korea and the Netherlands, um, difference between the people, difference between the culture, and with that also the fact that that my parents while they looked the same as everybody there, did not grow up there. I heard my mom say a lot um, as well about adoption, uh, especially because uh, she was very frustrated about the fact that she was adopted in the first place, especially also because my dad found this family, which was very loving and, and open-hearted. Um, and, and, and definitely my mom had that kind of loss also because she was not really happy growing up in the Netherlands. So, that, that, that definitely like created an image of adoption that was not very positive, I'd say. Um, and, and now growing up as well, growing up with that um, and all the stories I've heard over the years from other people as well. Um, I, I cannot say that I've formed a very positive image of, of, of transnational yeah. adoption per se. Um, and I think the experience of my my parents played a really big role in that.
0: Mm. Do you remember being um, part of any like ad- adoptee community or or groups or anything like that?
2: My my dad was a founding member of Arirang, which is the the, the Dutch Association for Korean Adoptees, and my mom also is very became a very early member as well. So I, I remember vaguely like meeting a lot of people at like Chuseok and solnal parties, um, <laughs> and like other kids being there as well. So yeah like it 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 also played a role when we moved to Korea my mom became kind of active within um adoption as well she organized some stuff for IKAA I think the like homecoming for Korean adoptees I'd say mm-hmm. um so yeah I remember like playing with other kids from other countries who came with their parents there
0: wow
2: as well so it it, it always like was a thing within the family my parents didn't hide the fact that they were adopted and made it very clear that they were adopted um And they they were also active within the adoption community. So, yeah, yeah.
0: I wonder if this is a good time to ask you what your bachelor's thesis is on. Oh, (laughs) yeah.
2: Yeah, so um, I didn't really know what to do at first because history is so broad and I'm interested in a lot of stuff. And then my mom said, yeah, why don't you research why people were adopted in the first place from Korea? And I was like, oh, yeah, surely that that has been researched already. There are so many (laughs) Korean adoptees. Surely there must have been a plenty of books about that. And I was struck to discover that it's basically a handful of books, some dissertations which have not been published, and some research papers. And then I convinced my uh, my professor to, to actually let me do this research as well. Uh, and now I'm looking into the motivations of the mothers in Korea as to why they put up their child for adoption. And then especially keeping in mind the developments within the more philosophical debate, I'd say, between agency and structure and whether you can actually argue whether those mothers did or did not have any agency within society at that point, discursively between state and and individual. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm looking
0: into currently. Awesome. And um, is it a particular historical time period?
2: Um, I'm looking specifically at the transition from before 1966 to after 66, because that's the point where you see a radical shift in, in the kids that were adopted, the amount of kids, the number of kids that were adopted. And, and I'm, I'm going to look specifically into that shift and see if there is any shift in like how news and government publications talked about adoption, and, and if that led to some kind of change in the way of thinking about adoption in Korean society. And especially also how that affected the mothers and their way
0: of thinking. Would I be correct in assuming that you're fluent in Korean?
2: I'd like to believe I'm fluent. <laughs> <Okay>. um, yeah. <laughs> Though I still struggle with making phone calls. But I say that's the same in Dutch. So <laughs>
0: okay. So you're accessing a lot of Korean language archival kind of material and newspaper articles. Yeah, like
2: that. newspaper archives. Um, that, that's where I'm currently uh, beginning have some prints from the national library as well uh, publications from Holt, uh, some records that i was able to find and get my hands on government publications is like the next step i'm going to look into
0: cool that sounds that sounds awesome I'm excited to to read it when it's done
1: so to go back in time again um we were wondering um like if you thought of yourself as Korean when you were younger and, and how you felt about being Korean um, then and if that's changed like over time.
2: I, I think there's definitely been a, a shift there in, in my thinking. A, as a child, um, I think I think growing up in, in a Western country, dominantly Caucasian, especially our neighborhood as well. Uh, <laughs> I was very much already confronted with the young age of being the fact that I look different. Um, appears with definitely reminding me of that every day. And I think like I struggled very hard to to accept that I was Dutch while looking different because I felt Dutch. I didn't eat different in my opinion. I didn't think different. I didn't speak different. And yet I somehow was reminded of the fact that I looked different every time. And I, I very much tried to hold on to that when I came to Korea the first time because even though I looked the same I was made fun of because I spoke different and I ate different and I behaved different because I was not a Korean according to my peers in Korea so I held dearly onto my Dutch identity there and I was shocked to find I'd come back to the Netherlands but hey I'm still being made fun of even though I held so dearly onto my Dutch identity Here, I am Dutch, and yet I am still not Dutch, according to them, because I look different. So after going back a second time, I think I kind of let go of my Dutch identity um, Mm -hmm. and and embraced more being Korean. I kind of accepted, okay, we're in Korea now. We don't know when we're going to come back. So let's see. And I think that's why I remember the shock I felt when my parents told me that we were going to go back to the Netherlands. Um, and looking back, that was, of course, the the, the the best decision that they could have made. But as a kid, I definitely did not felt happiness. That was not the first thing that came up. And going back to the Netherlands again, I was daily reminded of the fact, again, that I looked different. That didn't change in two and a half years, unfortunately. Um, so I kind of felt very much in between it felt good being able to articulate myself fluently again in that sense because even though i was like fluent in korean there there always be a big gap between your mother tongue and any second tongue you've acquired over time um and yet again i was being made fun of and, and all the jokes that, about small eyes and, and my flat face and all the Chinese syllable sounds we've heard before. Um, So I became very frustrated, I think. And and I think that that frustration still lingers within. That's something I think I uh, probably have to carry within myself my whole life. Um, But but going back to Korea every summer holiday and, and being able to speak Korean and nobody on the street looking at me there was no suspicion about me being not a Korean in that sense, after I was basically fluent mm. in Korean. That was always kind of something I was able to, to hold on to back in the Netherlands. Like if everything goes wrong here, I can always go to Korea and act as if I'm a Korean, because nobody suspects I'm not a Korean basically. And and to fully like experience that and, and figure out how I feel and where I want to be and how, I feel about my belonging is, I think, why I came to Korea on exchange last summer as well. To really live here for a longer period of time again and to, to think about who I am, actually. Um, and interestingly enough, I'm also like started doing that research on adoption while I was here. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of like a circle coming back again.
0: <laughs> and you're living there by yourself as, a, as an adult. So, I'm sure that's a very different experience
2: oh yes <laughs> yeah um i already like uh lived by myself in the netherlands so like cooking laundry cleaning and so that's kind of already like normal but um getting used to like doing that in korea was definitely like yeah it took some time to figure out how to do stuff where to get my what kind of laundry detergent was good uh, where do <laughs> i get my cheapest vegetables um those kind of things and it's a very different experience in korea than in the netherlands
1: Thank you for, um, you know, just sharing all those reflections with us about like growing up and your, your experiences and your shifting identities. Um, I feel like you articulate some of those, those feelings, um, so well, I, I was kind of curious if, if like growing up, like, and now, um, you like discuss those things like, uh, things like racism and feeling in between and. Sense of belonging, um, like with with your parents, or,
2: um, yes, we, we we've had discussions about that. Um, I, I think our family definitely loves discussing stuff um, a lot. <laughs> um, Sun Sunday morning breakfast was also always a very fierce debate ground, I'd say. But one thing we all definitely were agreed on was that, yes, racism is a thing, um, prejudice is a thing. And how do we deal with that? And I think that that's something that me, my sister, my younger brother all had very different opinions about. Mm. And we took our parents' advice too hard, I'd say. At least I did. I don't know what my sister and brother did with it, but. <laughs> and we always kind of joked about it. We always went up jokingly like, oh, you should just shout back or uh, kick the boys in the balls. <laughs> kind of, we joked about it, but, but, but thinking about it was actually very serious material. And maybe the, the lighthearted accent that my parents were able to give it was a way to cope with it as well. Because mm. if we are serious about it constantly all the time, then it is an issue that you have to deal with. Whether uh, if you're able to brush it off like that. Um, it is sad that we have to, in that sense, normalize it. But but for mental health of kids, I think that, that we kind of are forced to do that. Mm. and And we definitely talked about our place in society. And as we grew up, that that, that talk became more serious as well. And uh, especially with my mom, I had long talks about her experience and, and how her experience didn't really differ much from my experience, even though there's like, yeah, <laughs> 20, 21 year different there. Um, and I think that also like was reinforced by the fact that, that my parents always said that they were going to, go back to Korea. It was always going back for them. And like the moment that, that we as kids became independent, that's like the moment that they said that they would go back to Korea and, and live there. And I think that definitely kinda made clear what they thought about their place in the Netherlands and and what they thought about Korea and being Korean uh in the Netherlands as well.
0: So do you think that's still their plan i I, because you have two younger siblings do you think your parents plan is still to go back
2: well a few months ago my parents said that they were gonna buy up some ground at the coast and build some like mean bucks and just (laughs) stay there i don't know how that plan still stands (laughs) but dad always said that he was gonna build a hanok in korea and live in a hanok mom always said that she wanted to live in the the mountains so i i think yeah they're they're gonna go back when and how and if they're actually going to be able to build a hanok i think that's something that's up for debate but i think the moment my younger brother is they feel confident enough that my younger brother is going to be able to care for himself uh emotionally as well i think that's the moment that that they'll say okay we're gonna go off uh you can find us in korea good luck i i think they still definitely have that longing to go Mm. back yes
0: You said earlier that, unfortunately, perhaps the experiences of like bullying and racial isolation that your mother faced are unfortunately quite similar to your experience a couple decades later, which is a pretty sad indictment of how far things have come. Um, I'm wondering um, if you could talk about any access you may have had while you were in the Netherlands growing up to you know, other Asian communities or people of color.
2: Um I lived in a very white neighborhood. Very Christian white neighborhood, I'd say. I also feel like the Netherlands is is a very different society than, for example, the US or the UK. The way that, that we Dutch people like to think about race and and economic background is not that up front in the sense that it's not institutionally it's not institutional I'd say it's more of a social people are just very blunt (laughs) people don't think before they talk in the Netherlands people are very direct so it is obvious that I look different and that obviousness is what they point out and they don't think about that they don't have any I feel like they don't have any filter in their head oh m- i might not want to say that to the person
0: right
2: and i think like i experienced that the most when i had a job interview and i went there and of course the white shop owner told me oh i didn't expect you and i was like oh why is like, oh well with your name and like your dutch accent on the phone call and i was like <laughs> okay sure um and it's like at those moments where you feel very awkward and like pinpointing out again that i look different but there's no evil thought behind it but that kind of changed with covid of course um which kind of turned that innocent unknowing oh you look different into wait but you look different and therefore you might spread that virus which kind of changed the whole dynamic and then suddenly it was no more jokes and fun, but people were actually starting to feel threatened and people were actually starting to make physical threats. It wasn't no more just pointing out that you look different. Instead, they perceived you as an actual threat. And I think that, that, that was a shift that, that was very frightening, that was very scary. Because before that, yes, it was mentally tiresome, but that was it. You didn't feel physically threatened in any way. But suddenly people were like throwing bricks to like windows and like people were like actually beaten up or like pulled down from their bicycle. So I was very like almost scared to to publicly appear with a mask on. Mm -hmm. I felt like that made it kind of worse because then you were the Asian with the mask Mm. and masks were suspicious. Oh God, I don't still don't understand why they all hate masks so much. But yes, that that was very uh, a very different dynamic, um, which which I was surprising that it went so downhill so quickly.
1: <laughs> so that actually factored into your decision to um, to do this like study abroad in Korea.
2: Um, no, um, the study abroad was something I had been looking forward to since my first year of going to uni.
1: But I guess has the. Um comparative like f- relative feeling of safety has that felt like a oh belief? it's huge
2: yeah. <laughs> it's huge yes um, of course i keep in contact with my family in the netherlands um i, lo- I, li- I like to read news so um, yes there's there's a very big reason why i didn't go back after my exchange ended um, and that is indeed the the i don't know like the fifth or the fourth spike that the Netherlands was going through um, in the winter during Christmas. And then they went into their third lockdown, I think. I'm not sure. Which they still are in at this point. While in Korea, I was able to, with mask of course, but still go out and meet up with friends and live a life, I'd say. Um, so yeah, that, 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 that definitely played a role. Uh, and I feel a lot more safer here. Then I think I'd, I'd feel in the Netherlands at any point.
0: I believe you've met Korean adoptees in the Netherlands who are roughly in your age group. Can you tell us what that was like?
2: I, I heard that there still were people adopted from my mother, and that's also why she was very frustrated and I think almost angry that there were still children adopted from Korea, even though Korea was so developed and liked to promote itself as a developed country. But I'd never met them until I heard that there were two Korean adult at the high school I was going through, which is a very, very small chance coincidence, I'd say, because the high school was like maybe 1,200, 1,200, 1,300 children, kind of rural area of the Netherlands. And there were two Korean adoptees of my age, born in 98, 99 as well. And it it was not that that I was able to to talk with them about that a lot. But just knowing their existence, seeing them walk on school sometimes, kind of reminded me, and, and it gave me a very weird feeling, I'd say, because I knew what Korea was like. I knew how the subway system in Seoul was 10 times better than public transport in the Netherlands. I knew how tall the skyscrapers in Seoul had risen. I'd seen Korea develop myself over the years. And then there were these two kids who were put up for adoption for whatever reason and sent back to the Netherlands where they lived, seemingly as any other Dutch kid would, except that they looked different. That really made me question kind of kind of like the nature of his nurture debate almost like what if i had also not gone to korea what if my parents had never put adoption so made it such a big thing within our family what if they had just grown up as what they would call successful adoptees um, who are basically fully assimilated don't care about the fact that they're adopted um what if we had never gone to korea that first time or second time had just been happy with our grandparents in the netherlands um and and that that's something i i thought about a lot during that time mm. especially like the frustration i felt after going back to the netherlands mm. and being so i'd say bullied yeah uh, for looking different i i put a lot of of, of that blame on my parents and and, and seeing other adoptee kids In the Netherlands, growing up as Dutch kids, definitely made that feeling worse uh, because it it almost felt like that could have been me, not knowing what Korea was and not not letting it be a big part of my life.
0: Mm -hmm. So I guess we're really interested in your particular position and carving out a space for you and your specific positionality. And in an earlier conversation we had, you mentioned that you don't feel that there's a term that feels right or really fits your particular position. Um, do you mind telling us a bit more about that?
2: Yeah, I, I, I think I I didn't really notice that a lot in the Netherlands because in the Netherlands I was just, I was, or Chinese or right. the Asian. Or when I was able to explain, oh yeah, my parents are adopted from Korea and that that's where it kinda ended. But definitely coming to Korea, I noticed that it's it's not easy to to explain why I'm in Korea and what I am exactly in Korea. Koreans like to very much place people into boxes and, and into terms that they can understand. And I'm not a kyopo technically. But but am I also not I don't know I don't have the Korean passport oh why don't you have the Korean passport yeah because my parents didn't have the passport when they when I was born but they now do. Oh, but why? Yeah, because my parents were adopted. Oh, you're not adopted? No, my parents are adopted. So that, that, that's mostly how those discussions go. And then they're like, oh, but why do, like, oh, do your parents speak Korean? No, they don't speak Korean. Oh, why don't they speak Korean? Yeah, because they were adopted. But why do you speak Korean? Yeah, because we lived in Korea. So that, that's like the kind of riddle I have to go through every time. Um, when, when the conversation kind of delves into like, oh, who are you? And Why are you in Korea? And somehow that, that, always, like, turns into a 30-minute explanation of my background. Um, There is no term for someone whose parents were adopted. And I guess because there are not that many children yet who were and who are so invested into Korea at the same time, I think. And also not that many kids, like, with two parents who were adopted and who also made adoption, like, play a big role and the family, um, so I think that that kind of all played into the dynamic together to making it somewhat yeah difficult to explain my, my exact route to to being here in Korea as this in between person,
0: um, right? So it's much more at the forefront when you're in Korea than it was back in the Netherlands.
2: Yeah, I feel like Dutch people didn't really care. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For, for Koreans they they really like they they care like oh but but like how and why well, in the Netherlands you are well, you're different anyway <laughs> mm-hmm. so so yeah,
1: did you find that when you meet like other people like yourself that perhaps they're often like not as interested or uh knowledgeable about Korea and Korean culture compared to you?
2: yeah, most of them did not have the opportunity to live in korea i'd I, it's like a kind of like a running joke i have with a friend of mine but they, i guess like maybe it goes the same for the kill who are third or fourth generation but they're kind of like the most extreme korea boos there are and and it's only because they have that that heritage that they're able to to cling on to something and and i think the fact that i was able to live here for for a total of three and a half years definitely gave it a different color i think um if i if i look at my my um some of my friends i have in the netherlands whose parents are also both adopted but who were not able to live in korea yes they're also into k-pop yes they're also into k-drama but they don't speak korean they've they've not experienced life in korea the only thing they were able to go on holiday they summer vacation to korea they they Go to Myeongdong, they go to Hongdae, they go to Busan, but to them it's it hasn't become part of a normalised life, and always remains that that special place to to do yeah, that, that that good summer holiday, um, which 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 is kind of sad at 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 one point because I notice sometimes when I talk to them that they'd like to do much more with the fact that they're Korean but that they're also not able to do with it but at the same time you see also this this internal conflict inside on the fact that yes they feel very much Dutch but that they also feel like they're rejected by Dutch society because of the way they look and that they therefore try to look more to their Korean side Um, it's kind of like this dynamic between those two points places us very much in between being Korean uh, and Dutch
0: What about any um, maybe like online networks or anything like that? I'm just thinking that you know the adoption to the US has been happening since '53, so presumably there'd be some folks like yourself. Presumably,
2: <laughs> presumably, um, I've not been able to find a network of second gener- second generation LPs. Um, I don't know if that's the uh, the right terminology. Um, there is this online network of, of Korean diaspora in general. But, but what you see is that it doesn't capture the, the, the experience of those who are adopted and even less the experience of those who are, whose parents are adopted. Because if your adopted parents are not, don't have any knowledge about Korea... Or did not have the chance to come into contact with their Korean side, then you are also not experiencing that either, and I wonder if at that point you are just someone from Korean descent, or if you really feel anything that you are related to Korea, anything beyond that, just like other people from the u s might say that they're from that they have parents who are from Ireland and France and Germany. So, so that identity thing, I think, really becomes an issue or becomes a point when you were able to come into contact with that Korean side, when you had that chance, blessing, or curse. Um, <laughs> and that definitely relates to how the adopted parent also deals with the fact that they were adopted. And that's very different case by case.
0: Yes, because your folks were able to eventually track down their Korean families. So I imagine that would have made your situation also quite unique in that, in that sense.
2: Yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard of any other. I've heard of other people who were able to track down, but not both. Um, is something that, 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 that you don't hear often. Mm-hmm. Um, I know of, of some friends of mine that whose mother is adopted, uh, whose father is a Dutch person. And they were able to to also find the family in Korea, and they often come to Korea on a holiday as well. But also because their their father is Dutch, their Korean side is is something that that is not an issue that much. I'd say um, they like Korea. They have family in Korea, but it 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 is still only a place of of summer holidays and and a far away place that that produces good food and good music and that is something they can experience at home through their mother who's able to cook korean and through the online world uh these days and that that is enough that is everything that they need in that sense um which is a very different experience of of what i have of course having lived in korea and i'm feeling this longing for my experience that i had while living in korea made it much more of a a, a bigger issue, I'd say. Mm.
0: You mentioned that you may be keen to start some sort of network when you return to the Netherlands. I'm wondering, in your view, what you feel the key issues, key elements of your experience are that your community, if, if I can call it a community, faces.
2: What what I'd like to to look into is whether they feel anything for korea and if they want to know more about korea if that is the case if they'd like to talk about korea their views on korea and see what it's like to come into more contact with that side i think talking about that with those who have that similar background open up to a different debate than whether you do that with, for example, your parents, or Koreans or um, Dutch people, <laughs> I, I I think that that's a very different dynamic that that we would be able to create if we are have those 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 kids of the adoptees talking about the fact that their parents were adopted, that that trauma of adoption, if that played a role, uh, how that how that influenced their views of Korea, of adoption and Maybe, like, even organize some kind of like trip to Korea at some point, and hang around in Korea and have fun together. Um, I think my combined experience of having that fact that yes, my parents were adopted from Korea, yes, that played a big role, but at the same time, I've also been experiencing life in Korea as a Korean kid. I think that combined experience would allow me to to kind of combine those two and uh, share my experience with them, and and maybe come to some healing that we all need, maybe. (laughs)
0: Mm. I've been um, thinking about, you know, Grace Cho's book, Haunting the Korean Diaspora.
2: Yes, yes.
0: You know, obviously, the group of people she's talking about in her book are different to adoptees, but that point that she makes that it's often the generation after that begins to be able to sort of articulate that trauma or has that longer historical view and is able to kind of give voice and expression to what perhaps their parents couldn't. And as you were talking, yeah, made me think about whether that's something that kind of falls a little bit on on your generation's shoulders. I don't know if that's the right way to put it. Um,
2: I think that that definitely is is what I, for a long time, felt like. The burden, it, it felt like a burden, the fact that my parents were adopted. It felt like everything we did was because they were adopted the choice of going to korea the choice of going back to korea the second time it it felt like that was all because they were adopted and they had a trauma they had to deal with but what about the kids <laughs> and that, that that is something that um is very much comes from my perspective of course not not being able to talk with about it with my parents for a long time in a decent organized discussion i'd say um and and i think that that is my story that's my unique experiencing of of the choices that my parents made that were definitely a consequence of the fact that they were adopted keeping in mind of course also our lives as kids as korean kids growing up in the netherlands and i, I feel like there are stories like that for everyone maybe a little bit hidden but it it I think it always plays a role the fact that that you look different, that it's something you cannot avoid how how much Dutch society likes to believe they're tolerant, yes, you have black hair, yes, you have a darker skin that that that's an unavoidable fact and I think at that point the question becomes do you ask that question why or not? If you ask the why question, then you fall down into this deep rabbit hole, and everybody I think goes inside there and makes a personal choice of going deeper and deeper or not. And at some point being content with the answers you have and escaping, or you just delve deeper and deeper and deeper. And I think <laughs> I'm the more the one who tries to delve deeper and deeper.
1: I'm just curious um, about like, your closest friends in your life now, as an adult, um, I guess, both in the Netherlands and in Korea, um, do they also tend to have um, like maybe some connection with Korea, or um, or like some experiences experience of being like in between cultures or identities? Um, yeah, I'm just curious, like where you now, like personally, find the greatest sense of. Um, Belonging and understanding?
2: Uh, Ironically, um, even though the Netherlands has such a multicultural society, I've never had people from kind of like a migrant background, an immigrant background. I've had lots of opportunities, (laughs) but for some reason, I've never been... Able to have in-depth discussion with their experience as, as, as second, third-generation immigrants in the Netherlands. Um, I do have like one of my best friends. Um, I kind of make him addicted to Korea. Um, through all my long talks I've had given him and the lectures I gave him about Korean history, now he's deeply involved in K-pop and K-dramas and K-food. Um, <laughs> so so I guess that that is where I kind of get my. Um, where I get my satisfaction from, I guess, talking about Korea with him. Um, in Korea, one of my best friends is currently in the army, but he's. Um, I met him in elementary school when I came back from the second time. Uh, he was a kyopo from the US. And I remember talking in this gibberish of Dutch, English, and Korean with him for the first three months. After that, we kind of settled down on English and Korean. Um and I remember that we had a lot of fun, and as Korean kids, and we kind of talked differently. And the that the thing of the fact that the, we were both technically not fully Korean did not play a big role, because the moments he was he was in that sense fully Korean because his parents were Korean and he lived only in the U.S. for I mean quite quite a while I'd say like nine years, but um, he spoke fluent in Korean. And I was the odd one out. Um, but he that, that wasn't an issue. The moments that we were able to communicate, we were either Korean or English. If it became a problem, we switched to English. And when it was comfortable, we switched back to Korean. So that, that problem of identity wasn't really an issue there. And after that, right now, the friends I make currently are also all fully Korean. Or they're for, on exchange as well. I've had some talks about their experience, um, as, as like exchange students in Korea, li- li- which sometimes leads to some ironic comments about the fact, um, that they feel, uh, prejudice and discrimination and that I have to point out that that very much is also a thing that people experience back in their home countries. Uh, and I get some surprised faces, uh, sometimes, um, but, but, No, like thinking about it it's almost weird that i really don't have any close friends of mine that we discussed these issues with
1: what are some of your favorite things about living in korea Um, and how i mean you've mentioned like that, that there's obviously this big difference between just visiting korea for a holiday and and this more um like everyday life experience that, that you're having again now.
2: I think like one of the moments where I really uh, like was felt like oh I'm so glad that I live in Korea was when I was able to go to the Nordobank and scream it out when I was stressed for working on my paper. Um the amount like of like entertainment I feel like available is a lot more than <laughs> the Netherlands. The most things you can do in the is maybe meet up with your friends, go out for a few beers, and then come back and cry again. <laughs> maybe go to the bowling alley once a month if if you're really feeling wild. Um, meeting up with friends um, in a Korean way, I'd, I'd say, is just one of the, the the things I enjoy doing the most. Mm. Uh, it's it's so different um, than meeting Dutch people. Not necessarily better, but but um, just experiencing in an that in and of itself is something I very much enjoy.
1: Do you? So I understand that you're you're going back to the Netherlands um, in August.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. The end of August. Yes.
1: But do you see yourself living here again in the future?
2: Um, I I still don't know what my future holds for me. Um, I'm currently. I need to go back because. I have the second bachelor in Korean studies that I need to finish, which means one more gruesome year of doing bachelor thesis research. Um, And after that, I think I'd be very addicted to doing gruesome research. So I think I'd be going for a master's uh, maybe in Korea, maybe in the Netherlands. Hmm. Um, But I think Korea is very high Hmm. on that list. So I could be well be back after a year being in the
0: netherlands again thank you so much for for speaking to us yeah really appreciate your time and sharing your experiences and like a, yeah like we mentioned like this is really a perspective that i know hannah and i haven't really had much sort of exposure to and i think um yeah our listeners would find it super interesting Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Adopted Feels Podcast. We're on Twitter at Adopted Feels. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star rating or better yet, write us a review. And as always, we can be contacted at adoptedfeels at gmail.com.
1: First one's pretty easy, I think. Um, Do you have a favorite Korean drama? Uh,
2: Favorite Korean drama? Um, the one about uh, the woman going to North Korea and then going back to South Korea and then going back to North Korea and going back to South Korea again I forgot <laughs> the name Um, what's the name again Crash Landing, uh, Crash landing yeah, yeah
1: yeah okay maybe I should like finally give that a try because other people have recommended it to me too <laughs> okay.
0: okay what's your go-to Noray Bang song I think that
2: would be uh, a song by Big Bang I think okay Always hypes up people. Um, I think all of their songs are pretty hypeable songs. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. Next, um, you kind of mentioned this earlier, but are you also like typically direct and blunt in the Dutch way?
2: Um, I, I I'd like to believe I'm not, since I've also been raised um, by by Korean parents. But I'm often reminded by friends that I can be very quite direct and blonde. Yes.
0: (laughs) Okay. As fellow firstborn siblings, do you like being the eldest child in your family? What's the best or worst thing about it?
2: Oh, I hate it. I wish I was the youngest.
0: (laughs) Yes. uh, I think me too. What about you, Ryan? Uh, I'd I'd probably say the same.
1: They have an easier life.
0: I wish
2: I didn't have any responsibilities being the youngest kid, you know? <laughs> but I think my youngest brother would say the same about his life. So,
1: um, Okay, next question. Is there anything that you're kind of proud of being um, a member of Gen Z for? Like, do you think there are any, yeah? <laughs> um... <laughs> Um
2: um mm, I, I heard <laughs> <laughs> Um I I I I think we're too close to stuff happening right now to say to to look to look back on it already. I think we can now maybe say something about the millennials but uh of which I have a lot of opinions about. But um, (laughs) my generation, I think, um, we still have maybe 10 years left before judgment can be
0: made. (laughs) That's a very good answer. Okay. um, I think this might be our final question. Um, Is there any fusion Dutch-Korean food? Maybe something involving cheese.
2: Oh, God. That um, fusion (laughs) Dutch-Korean... Oh, um well i saw like a dutch place a dutch like you have like this strobe waffle which is like this caramel waffle yeah. mm-hmm. um which these days you can buy at starbucks everywhere i think um and i saw like a gourmet cafe in korea like ho- called holland which served <laughs> them they were not anything close to what i have ever eaten in the netherlands um But they reminded me of the Netherlands. So I guess you could say that's some kind of weird (laughs) Korean-Dutch fusion. I don't know what the Korean part is. The the decadent toppings and the too much chocolate and the overly sweet uh, caramel that they put in um, made it maybe Korean. I think that's something like everything is more extreme. So even the Dutch waffle becomes a more extreme (laughs) version of itself. Um, Other foods, I don't think that would be a good idea. Um I think leaving Korean food for, for what it is 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 very good and not touching Dutch food at all is I think also good for your appetite and your palate. Yes.
1: <laughs> Sorry, I have this like completely inappropriate
0: question.
1: <laughs> and we probably won't include it. But I was just I don't know why
0: I was <laughs> just like... <laughs> go on go on now you have to ask
1: me. no 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 i was just like i was just curious um like whether um you know for a lot of uh for maybe for a lot of our generation of korean adoptees i feel like we who grew up in like really white communities um we like grow up more likely date white people and I was kind of curious about like (laughs) your uh like I don't know history or preferences or like Uh, you have like um yeah
2: I'm currently single um (laughs) yeah I don't think that that um preference is really a a big issue there um no I, I I don't know I'm I'd like to be in a relationship and I'm single. Yeah, that's all,
1: I think. (laughs) Okay. Okay, cool. Well, that was
0: (laughs) it.